0: Good morning Uh, our reading is in 1 corinthians chapter 4 on 1146 in the church bibles that's uh, 1 corinthians chapter 4 on page 1146 so then men ought to regard us as servants of christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of god now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not uh, take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really have. Uh, how I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, We go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit?
1: David, thank you so much. Um, Please do keep 1 Corinthians chapter 4 open in front of you. I'm going to ask that the Lord would speak to us through his word as we look at it together. Let me lead us in prayer. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home, and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. Almighty God, we bow before you this morning. As those who know your grace to us in the Lord Jesus, we pray that you would renew us. You'd renew us even now as we hear your word spoken to us. We would truly hear your voice. Would it penetrate uh, through the, the things that are going on in our heads right into our hearts? And we ask that it would increasingly make us more like Jesus and long more to follow Jesus. We need your help as we listen to your word. And so we cry out to you to be at work by your spirit and for your glory. Amen. Why is it when we mess up, so maybe you say something stupid in class, or you make a mistake at work, or you, you trip over on the pavement that you hope no one notices? But when we achieve, you know, we're the only one who gets the right answer in class. or We make a major contribution to that project at work. Or we're the one helping the person up on the pavement. We we hope someone is paying attention. We hope someone notices. Isn't it because we care about what people think? We want to be honored and praised. It gives us self-worth. Why is it that we also like to be associated with people who achieve? and yet like to distance ourselves from people who mess up. So, you know, someone might say, oh, don't you think Johnny Sexton's doing well? Oh, yeah, well, do you know my kids went to the same school as his kids go to? Or someone says, oh, do you hear what Michael O'Leary said to that older couple? Oh, yeah, I don't know anything about that guy. I don't even know what country he must come from. I have nothing to do with him. Why? Well, because I think we like to think, or we think that a little bit of their honor or uh, maybe their shame might rub off on us, those famous people, those leaders. We're looking at this letter written to these Christians in that great city of Corinth. And in first century Corinth, it was similar and yet different to our world. Similar because being honored was very, very important, if not the most important thing. And yet different because to associate with a leader who was impressive and honorable was the best way to get honor for yourself. Corinth was a a shame honor culture. Now, I know there's people here in the congregation who have come from those kind of cultures, very different to our culture here in Ireland, but if, you've, if you grew up in somewhere like China or some of the churches in the middle, some of the countries in the Middle East, you'll know this culture only too well. You know, we know as Christians our worth should come from God. In the West, we think that worth comes from self. We have to sort of create self-esteem. In the shame-honor culture. We think, oh, people think that honor, worth comes from other people. So things like peer pressure or keeping your parents happy wouldn't be seen as negative things in that culture. No, they're just obvious things. They're sensible things. They're normal things. And the best in that kind of culture is to be associated with someone who is seen as wise and strong and powerful and honorable. But for these Christians that Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians, what they have found is that associating with Jesus and associating with the Apostle Paul hasn't led to greater honor or praise or power. Although Paul is their father in the faith, he's the one who brought the gospel to them. Some of them, well, they feel that Paul isn't that impressive. In fact, he's a bit embarrassing. And what they need is more impressive leaders. If they had more impressive leaders, they would have a more impressive church and maybe even a more powerful witness to the world. Certainly greater honor and respect from the world. Well, do you remember last week we saw that Paul says, don't think that you are very spiritual more and more spiritual having these kind of attitudes no, actually you're more and more worldly you're, you're acting like infants do you remember Connor's nappy? this passage shows that they need to see what Christian leadership really looks like and why they should want their leaders to be like this what, what, what kind of Christian leaders they should follow and we need the same Actually, because we too can be tempted to want the honor of the world more than God's. To want leaders who lead like the world, who are seen as impressive by the world. So as we come to this passage, what we're really thinking about is what should Christian leadership look like? What should it look like? And here's what we see. First thing is the Christian leaders are servants. Verse 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Christian leaders are given by God to the church to serve. Actually, this is what we were looking at last week. Do you remember? Paul was just continuing to say what he'd said before. So chapter 3 and verse 5. What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to its task. If I resign tomorrow, because I reckon, you know, as a church, we haven't done enough recruiting of staff in the last couple of years. Um, If I resign tomorrow, what would you look for in a Christian leader? What kind of leader would you appoint? Someone who is a physically impressive, someone who has media experience or is a finance expert or proven in business, able to hit all those targets, someone with a proper Irish accent. Well, what things you think that leader should have would depend on what you think that leader should do. And Paul tells us, actually. Have a look again, verses 1 and 2. So, Men are to regard us as servants of Christ as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. He says, we've been trusted with the secret things of God. He's not talking about some sort of secret that no one can really know or only one or two people know. It's what we saw back in uh, chapter 2, that this was what was once hidden, but now God has revealed by His Spirit, through His Word. What is it? The Word of God revealed, especially the Gospel, especially the message of the cross. This is what the apostles and every Christian leader has been entrusted with. A few years back, uh, we borrowed a caravan um, off some some friends, not friends we knew that well. Um, They kindly lent us this caravan for a couple of weeks. And uh, as John was showing me around this van, he said, you know, this is, this is just, we, we love this van. You know, it's really new. We've, we've only just really bought it with some money we are given um, as, an, as a sort of gift from some relatives. And uh, like, it's just brilliant. Look, it does this, it does that. So the next couple of weeks was just spent trying not to wreck the van. And, you know, one, one shelf broke. I had to go and get some tools to, like, fix it back together. I managed to rip the awning, which is like the tent bit that you stick on the side. I couldn't fix that. I had to admit that to him. It was just really stressful when you're entrusted with someone's precious possessions. Well, God has entrusted Christian leaders with his precious possession, the wise and powerful Word of God. And what are they to do? Well, end of verse 2, prove faithful with that trust. See, Christian leaders are servants who want to be faithful to Christ. That's the first thing we're going to see this morning. Do you ever think what might be the biggest temptation for me? What is most likely to make me ineffectual in ministry amongst you. Now, I might be wrong, but for me, I don't think it's porn. I don't think it's power. I don't think it's laziness. I think it is people-pleasing for me. Because I'm tempted to care way more about what you think than about what God thinks. I'm tempted to care way more about what the world thinks of me Than about what God thinks of me, what the world needs to hear. Well, compare that to Paul. Look at this, verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, he's not saying he he doesn't uh, listen at all to what people say or he doesn't care about people. He's talking about when they judge servants that God has given. And when they say, oh, oh, this servant is better than that servant, and they're making that evaluation based on the world's standards. It's it's like a sort of popularity contest that is going on between Christian leaders or, or like they're sort of playing Christian leader top trumps You know, this leader, well, he's got this amount of wisdom compared to that amount of wisdom. This amount of speaking power compared to that amount. This one's way more impressive. Paul says, it doesn't matter what you think about me. He says, I think I'm doing okay. I don't even judge myself. But actually, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters? It's the Lord who judges It's what the Lord thinks. I wonder, as you sit here this morning, as we think about Christian leaders, has God entrusted you with Christian leadership, responsibility? If so, what do you want to do with that? What should you pray for? Me, I I wish I was a better prayer about our pastor, a better leader. But above all, what I would love you to pray for me and for all of us who are in Christian leadership, whether you're a youth leader or you're helping in your Christian union committee or you're an elder or uh, leading a home group or, or many other ways, that we would prove to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ, of the Word of Christ, That we'd faithfully proclaim it and protect it, this word that has been entrusted to us. Because, as we saw earlier in 1 Corinthians, it's this word that is powerful to save us. It's this word that enables us to grow and be effective. It's this word where we hear the Almighty God by His Holy Spirit speaking to creatures like you and me. And you know, one day, for those of us with Christian responsibility and Christian leadership, God's verdict on what we've done with that Word will be shown to be all that matters. Verse 5, He therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Sadly, some significant Christian leaders recently in our, in our world today have been exposed. They have used their positions of power, to abuse that power, to abuse people. They've been exposed in the here and now. Do you know on that day when the Lord Jesus comes, all darkness and all the motives of mankind's hearts will be exposed. And so today, a Christian leader can have a huge YouTube following a massive church, campuses of congregations and church plants and massive budgets, but... It may be that on that day what they've really taught or what they did in the home or to their wife will be exposed. Another might be a tiny church where that Christian leader has faithfully served year after year after year. Do you know what they will get at the end? Praise from God. Christian leaders, what are they to do? They are to be faithful. You know, we we long for more people to come to Jesus. We long for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We long for God to get the glory. But it's not our job to make all of that happen. But it is our job to faithfully proclaim the Word of God. And on that day, we'll see the results of what God has done. And by God's grace, we will receive the honor and praise that is due. That's what it means for for, for me, for us, if we're in Christian leadership. What about us as a church? Well, I think Paul says two things. Verse 5, do not judge. Don't play top trumps with the different Christian leaders. You know, I I prefer Connor preaching. He's young. I prefer Norman preaching. He's old. (laughs) I don't think Norman's going to deny that, are you? (laughs) Older than me anyway. I'm glad I'm in the Grosvenor youth group and not in that youth group. If Christian leaders are faithful, yeah, we'll have different strengths and weaknesses. You may wish you had another one, but actually they're God's gift to you. Don't judge and don't boast. Look at verse 6. Paul says, now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. Then you'll not take pride in one another, against one, against another. He says he's applied this stuff to himself and Apollos. And he says, you know, we're just servants. What we're supposed to do is just to be faithful, to teach the message of the cross. And so he says to them, don't go beyond scripture as you evaluate whether we are good or not. Don't judge by the world's thoughts about worldly wisdom or powerful rhetoric. And don't get puffed up when you think, now you've got a better leader than you did before. Um, A few weeks back, there was an American preacher here in Grosvenor. Uh, He um, did a sort of preaching workshop sort of thing in the afternoon, and then a A sort of uh, exposition in the evening and um, I arrived in earlier early in the afternoon before he'd arrived and a few people arrived here early there was one guy there who had traveled all the way from the UK just for two hours of this workshop because his wife had heard that this American preacher was going to be in Dublin doing this workshop so she'd bought him a plane ticket and he was just thrilled to be here to meet his hero now Chatting to this guy, it's clear that he was a godly guy. He loved Jesus. He was here for the right reasons. But, do you know, what? I think sometimes for some of us, as we listen to our internet speakers or our podcast speakers, we've got heroes. And I wonder, is there a temptation for us to be more excited about meeting this hero than we would be about meeting Jesus? Or well, hearing the voice of Jesus through his word? Would we be more excited? Would we boast about the fact, oh, we've been to that event. we shook this guy's hand. He signed his book. Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, don't boast. Don't think you're anything special or different. Look verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast? as though you did not. If you do have good leaders, Paul says, if you have anything good, it's because of God's grace. It's because of God's kindness. It's been received, not achieved. Maybe you're here today, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're just trying to work stuff out. Do you know that actually, that is the Christian life. The Christian life is received, not achieved. Christians aren't people who've achieved. They've they've done enough good stuff or they've earned enough credit before God to feel confident. No, it's people who've gone to God saying, I have got no hope. I need your grace and forgiveness. And who've trusted in Jesus and have received that forgiveness. It's received, not achieved, all of God's kindness, all of God's gift to us in our lives, in our church life. See, Christian leaders are to be servants who want to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And secondly, what we're going to see is Christian leaders are to be servants who are willing to be fools for Christ. <clears throat> Do you like sarcasm? Paul likes sarcasm. Have a look at verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. I heard of a a dad recently who decided he would ban sarcasm from his house because he just thought it would improve relationships with his teenage children. Um, I've really done the opposite in our home. I I have trained my children in sarcasm and so now when I ask anyone in my family this question, uh, do you know what sarcasm is, do you know what their answer is? No, dad. I love a bit of sarcasm. Paul here in verse 8 is being sarcastic. If, if you're from a culture where you don't do sarcasm, sarcasm means you say one thing and you actually mean the complete opposite. And that's what he's doing here in verse 8. He says, ha, you have all you want, you're satisfied. You're rich, spirit, you think you're spiritually rich, you think you're kings, you're powerful. You think you're reigning. It's true as Christians, we wait for the Lord Jesus, the King, to return. And then we will reign with Him. But it seems like the Corinthians thinks that they've reached that now, or at least they're in the lead to get it. But this attitude, this desire to have impressive leaders, to, to think they are spiritually rich and ruling, it hasn't led to a more powerful witness, has it? Now, what we've been seeing is it leads to a church that is full of pride and factions and divisions and judging, and I'm better than you. And Paul says, you've got it all wrong. He says, let me show you what true Christian leadership looks like. And so he says, verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. This is the picture of a Roman triumph. So a triumph was when a Roman general had conquered some great bit of land and it came back to the city he was from. And there was a procession, a parade into the center of the city in his honor. A little bit like a sort of Irish sports team coming from the airport into the center of the city. A homecoming. And in this procession, well, what you would have seen at the beginning would have been the general. And then after him, his officers, then soldiers, then their slaves, and then right at the end would have been the prisoners that they had captured. And actually even those prisoners would have been ranked. And at the very end of the procession, were those that were reserved to go into the arena, to be fodder for the wild animals or the gladiators. And Paul says, you see those ones at the end of the procession that are going to be used in the arena? That is us. That is the apostles. Paul says, this is our experience of Christian leadership. And it really was his experience. Look verse 10, he says, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. This is what you should expect if you serve Christ and not yourself. Now, in Grosvenor, you are so kind to me and the staff here. This doesn't mean uh, that you should throw us out and make us homeless. Um, It doesn't mean that if Christian leaders are sort of doing okay that they're being unfaithful. What it does mean is that Christian leaders shouldn't always expect to have it easy or comfortable. In Ireland, actually, I think it's going to be increasingly hard. It is already, but increasingly hard to speak God's truth without repercussions. All in leadership should be willing to be fools for Jesus Christ. Dishonored. Not looking for honor from the world. And we should want Christian leaders like this, who want to be faithful to God, who are willing to serve whatever the cost, themselves or their reputation but but why why do christian leaders face this should expect this well it's because as we saw in chapters one and two the world looks at the message of the cross and it doesn't think oh clever it thinks stupid he looks at the people of the cross and it doesn't think oh impressive it thinks pathetic It doesn't look at the ministers of the cross and think, oh, so wise. No, it thinks, what a fool. It's what some people said to my friend who didn't take up the professional rugby contract, but went to do Christian ministry. It's what another friend of mine was told as he finished his medical training and went to church. The world just looks at that and just says, Fool. Why should Christian leaders expect this from the world? Well, because this is what the Lord Jesus experienced, isn't it? The one who is Lord of all when he came, he ended up at the end of the procession, condemned to die. A worthless criminal, weak, brutally treated, Stripped and whipped in rags. A fool. See, the cross in the world's eyes is the greatest folly. In ours, if we're believers in God, we saw chapter 1, didn't we? It's the power and wisdom of God. Why should we as followers expect anything different from the world than what Jesus experienced? The way of Christ is the way of the cross. And it's not just a path for leaders. Look, Paul, verse 14, he, he, he says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you. It's my dear children. He says he, he wants to warn them, stop imitating the world. You're my dear children. I'm your father in the faith. He says, verse 15, even though you've 10,000 guardians, all these wise people in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, all of you, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. He says, "You too be willing to be a fool for Christ." <clears throat> I wonder if you experienced that. Maybe you sat in that class or lecture. You said, "No, no, I, I do believe there is a God who created this world." I just go, oh, really. Seriously. Or you're at work and everybody else is happy to wear that lanyard or wear that badge to promote that thing. And you say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And they say, you're so stuck in the dark ages. Who are you? Or, or that project that you've been working on. You know, others on the team say, look, We could just take the work that they've done and just sort of rework it a bit and pass it off as our own. That would be way easier. And you go, no. And they go, don't be such a fool. And when the world treats God's people like that, what should our response be? Well, what was Paul's? It was to bless. Look back to verse 12. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. He says, we're just seen as disgusting scum, just like rubbish that should just be thrown away. And yet, what was Paul's response? It was to bless. How is he able to do that? Well, it's because that was Christ's response. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Peter, the apostle, writes, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. See, Jesus was willing to become a fool for us. Are we willing to be fools for him and for his glory? If, you're, if we're a Christian leader, are we willing to be faithful to Christ? And fools for Christ and for his glory? Are you and I willing to have Christian leaders who are faithful and not popular in the world? When we mess up, do you hope no one notices? When we achieve, do you hope everyone notices? What do you want? Do you want to be noticed, honored, praised by families and friends and colleagues and the establishment and society in the world? Or do you want to follow Jesus? Jesus? Do you want to be honored and praised by the only one that matters, to receive commendation from Him? Well, if we do, then we'll need to look to Jesus. Only as we see Him in all His glory and all His power and all His sacrificial, humble, willing love for us, will it stop us using our leadership or our lives for our own glory and discover the far greater joy of using everything for God's glory. Let's just take a moment to pause. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our Gracious God and Father, we humbly recognize before you that all we have is because of your grace to us. Because of what we have received and what we have received in your great Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to come, to be your faithful servant, to be a a fool in the world's eyes. To be treated as the scum of the earth for us and for our sake and for our salvation. And so we pray for ourselves that we would have increasingly that heart and desire not to seek honor and praise from those around us, but to be willing even to be called a fool for Jesus, that we might follow Him and seek honor and praise from You. And we pray that for all of us in Christian leadership, that our heart and hunger would be to make more of Jesus, whatever the cost, and less of ourselves, For his sake we pray. Amen. This is our God. The servant king.